Hello and welcome to Frankly Speaking, where we dive deep into regional headlines and speak with leading policymakers and business leaders. I am Katie Jensen. It's 18 months since war broke out between Russia and Ukraine, with tens of thousands killed and billions of dollars spent by both sides. On this episode of Frankly Speaking, we hear from Russian diplomat Andrei Baklanov to ask his thoughts about what is going on behind closed doors in the Kremlin, whether Saudi is likely to play the role of mediator in potential future peace talks, and if Russia will return to the Black Sea grain deal. Mr. Baklanov, thank you for joining us on Frankly Speaking. We are now 18 months into the war. There is clearly no winner, only more losses and suffering on both sides and indeed for the rest of the world who are also bearing the cost. So frankly speaking, why would Russia increase the suffering of millions of people around the world by pulling out of the grain deal at a time like this when the world is already seeing record inflation? I think this is uh, quite a wrong version of what what is going on. So uh, the whole deal turned to be fraud, fraud, just uh, the series of lie to the world and to all of us. So there was a preliminary agreement that will give uh, access for the grain from both Ukraine and Russian Federation, and uh, the pretext and the main aim was to give the opportunity to export this grain to the African states, to the states, to the people that are suffering from hunger, etc. But suddenly, uh, very strange things turned when we started uh, realization and uh, our partners started the realization. Only 3% of the grain really uh, was going to the African continent, to the like, uh, to the people that are suffering from uh, hunger, absolute majority of the grain went to well uh, prosperous countries of the West, especially uh, European countries. So this is a fraud. This is a fraud for all the people. This is one uh, side of the story. The second uh, one also, uh, which uh, think which we are calling fraud and lie. Because uh, uh, there was an agreement uh, with this grain deal that uh, uh, there will be opportunity for the both countries concerned, Ukraine and Russian Federation, to export uh, our grain and our fertilizers abroad. Zero percent of this agreement turned to be uh, uh, going from Russian Federation. So this is not a, a grain deal. This is a grain, a, a grain fraud. So that's why that's why we decided to terminate this fraud, you know. But even if three percent is only going to Africa, as you say it did, you say the aim of the deal is to reduce the suffering of these people. Now the IMF is forecasting that Russia's decision to exit the deal is going to lead to grain prices increasing globally by around fifteen percent. Now we know that is going to affect the most vulnerable countries, including those in Africa. In fact. 
research from Germany's government has found that for every 1% increase in global wheat prices, it will push an additional 1 million people into astute poverty. So I have to ask, why would you want people not only in Africa, but also globally to suffer? Millions of people we're talking about. And considering Russia is already doing very badly in the global opinion polls, surely something like this is only going to make Russia look even worse. Well, okay, we are thinking about the uh, global, uh, you know, needs of the grain, but we also must think about our people. Why our people and our country would be uh, the victim of the grave, uh, you know, uh, uh, ill-intended lie? We are thinking about our producers also. They do not have the opportunity to export what they have. Export. So why should we uh, uh, give the opportunity for the Ukrainian grain to go on for the European country? And uh, uh, we, uh, we, are, we are not uh, have the, uh, the opportunity for export our grain and to give uh, something good for uh, for the benefit of uh, our producers. But that's this contradictory not, to what uh, you just is, said, because no, a, a, a so, you know the, 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 you, the, what 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 you are asking. Many questions are like that, but we are thinking, and more my personal point of view, this is a very big hypocrisy hypocrisy from the Western countries and from the Western propaganda. Well, you so said a minute ago the aim of this... Yeah. You said that you, a minute ago on this program, you said the aim of the deal was to alleviate the suffering of people in Africa. Now you say the aim of the deal is to improve the lives of people in Russia. So to me, that actually seems quite hypocritical. I think that seems like two very different aims there. Well, no, it was a deal. What do you th do? You call a deal? Uh, the deal there is there is a set of the principles which must be realized. Why we are uh, realizing only half of the deal, and you, we are not realizing the second half of the deal? And then you are ignoring you are ignoring what I am saying. The argument with what, what I am doing. Well, I am saying that only three percent was going to Africa. How you can call it? You can call this deal uh, uh, not fair, a lie, and hypocritical. So uh, that's why we would like to return back to the starting point, uh, to the uh, to the uh, obligations which all of us had. Why we we are the only part of the story which uh, realize our obligation. What about the other the the other? Look for fertilizers, for instance. We were ready to give these fertilizers uh, for the African uh, countries free of charge. Uh, to uh, 280,000 uh, tons. All these tons were uh, blocked by the, uh, by the uh, Western countries uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, in Western ports. Uh, what about the obligations of the of the uh, of the countries of Look, the EU. I, I do I do, I do take your point, but again, but it, I do take no. your point, but again, cancelling the deal leaves no room for negotiation. If your true aim for this deal was to increase exports to Africa, surely you would return to the negotiation table rather than cancel out the deal and now leave millions of people around the world 
in astute poverty. But let's move on, shall we? Uh, I want to continue talking about the war, which, as we said a little bit earlier, has been going for 18 months now. President Putin first began the war in Ukraine with two main goals, uh, to stop what he called the new Nazism in Ukraine and to demilitarize Ukraine. Now, the Nazi idea was exposed as a myth quite early into the war, and his plans to demilitarize Ukraine have also backfired rather spectacularly. Ukraine is now one of the most militarized countries in the world. It has the support of NATO. So you are a veteran of foreign policy. How do you think this is going to end? Well, about Ukraine, it's rather easy for me personally to answer this question to you because I, I was born in Ukraine. I was studying in the Ukrainian school. I know a perfect Ukrainian exactly as I know Russian language. And uh, the whole story, uh, well, uh, started when I was in Ukraine. What story? What story? Mr. Khrushchev, uh, who was uh, the leader of the, uh, of the Soviet Union in the 50s, he made a terrible mistake. Terrible mistake. Uh, it was uh, in 1955-56. Uh, he, uh, he set free uh, almost 100,000 uh, prisoners that were uh, in, in, in prison because of their loyalty to the Nazi Germany during the Second World War. The majority of them were Bandera people from Ukraine. The people in Ukraine, were, all of us were shocked by this decision because it was not fair. These were the criminals, the criminals. And uh, they suddenly came after one or two or three years in imprisonment. And this was the start of the whole story. The mistake made by the Soviet government uh, giving access, uh, giving the opportunity for, for those criminals to return back to Ukraine. Then they, they returned, especially to the western, uh, western part of the Ukraine, and started this preparing of nationalist movement. It was the start of the story. It, uh, and so uh, it's necessary to know uh, the history of this uh, subject. We regard what was going on in Ukraine uh, as the, the prolongation of the Second World's War. You know that the Soviet Union lost 27 millions of people. Some of, uh, of Ukrainian people were uh, simply, uh, you know, uh, uh, simply cowards, uh, and uh, they served for Germany. Almost one million of Ukrainians served for, for this Nazi Germany. Okay, and but, so but when we, the, when we grand, look grand, ahead, grand, 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 how do you see the now war being resolved? In Ukraine. Yeah. But, but sure, but, but looking forward, how do you see this ending for both sides? Is there a way forward? I see, uh, well, I, I say I'm giving my version because I know the in details of what was going in the 50s and 60s and 70s. My father uh, was representing West, uh, West part of uh, Ukraine uh, in the parliament of Ukraine in, in the Soviet period of time. So I know in details what, what was going on. I think that there is no opportunity for, the, uh, for any kind of truce uh, between the present day uh, uh, you know, government, uh, the so-called government, uh, these fascist people in the Kiev and us. I'm absolutely sure that the only option we have to well, uh, to, to annihilate this regime in Ukraine and to return back Ukraine to normality, normality. Uh, what, what about the position of the Western countries? The position is the same as it, as it was 
during the Second World War. This, the whole uh, Europe was, uh, uh, was giving the, uh, the opportunities for the Nazi German to go okay. on in the war against the Soviet Union. So you say, you say no truce is likely. You're saying only a true annihilation will bring this to an end. I had President Zelensky here on our program last year and proposed the idea of peace talks. Now, he warned that he would not negotiate with Russia as long as President Putin is in power. So how do you go about achieving some level of peace if Mr. Zelensky doesn't recognise Mr. Putin as a legitimate leader? Do you see the only option as total annihilation? Well, uh, I think that uh, we have come to the point where uh, well, it's not very much interesting what Mr. Zelensky as a traitor, as a criminal is thinking about us. Uh, we will, uh, we will uh, uh, after we liberate the, the Ukrainian he and uh, many other uh, of the criminals will be answering uh, in our court for the criminal activities during these eight or even nine years against our people in Donbass. They killed thousands of people, so they will be uh, caught and will be in, in, uh, imprisoned uh, if they did not, not escape in Israel or, or any other Western country. Well, you say that, but Ukraine and many in the West seem to think that actually it's Russia who is losing the war, or at the very least that Russia has proven to be not as mighty or as powerful as people thought. But I imagine you disagree with that. Well, uh, uh, we liberated Ukraine during the Second World War. The number of our troops was 11 times more than we have now uh, uh, in Ukraine, liberating Ukraine for the second time. So uh, it's rather limited uh, quantity of our troops. It's less than 3,000. And, uh, and during the Second World War, it was much more, several millions. So uh, this is an operation, an operation. We are not in the haste. We are not in the haste. We have certain strategy. And uh, uh, we uh, think that uh, it will take some uh, time for us uh, to fulfill these three uh, aims which you uh, rather successfully understood. Uh, the first, denazification, second, demilitarization, and uh, third, the uh, termination of uh, these criminal activities of the criminal regime, which, uh, uh, which uh, had coup d'etat uh, in the 2014. It was a grave mistake of us, of our government, that we did not sever our relations in uh, 2014. Uh, I think that it was necessary just uh, to make the, uh, this decision immediately after the fascist coup d'etat in 2014. Okay, so you say it's going to take time. As I said, many people in the West and Ukraine would say that Russia is losing the war. Certainly there was a, a very uh, unusual incident that took place on the 23rd of June this year. This was quite a peculiar incident with the head of the Wagner Group, uh, Mr. Yevgeny Prigozhin. And until now, there's been no real clarity about exactly how and why this rift started or indeed, if it has ended, if it has been properly resolved, what can you tell us about it? Okay, uh, about about Wagner, about Wagner. So uh, Wagner, uh, it was uh, uh, an experiment, an experiment, and then it, it turned to be that uh, this experiment had positive and negative aspects. The positive aspect was that they were participating in this battle against uh, Ukraine and in, in, in some other countries rather successfully. 
uh, they, they are very good prepared uh, from military point of view. But uh, at the same time, uh, uh, they, they are exactly the elements that want to win the war against, uh, against uh, uh, Ukraine in weeks and in months, which is not realistic. So it was uh, the, <clears throat> the very uh, big divergence of the opinions. The, uh, our military uh, leadership, and I think it's, 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 it's right, uh, approach was were not in haste. We, we are having some strategy, rather cautious strategy, and we go on. Uh, Wagner group uh, was against the strategies. They, they, they were saying that it was ne not necessary to waste time and to go on for Kyiv immediately. And it was at the start of the disagreement. Uh, so all in all, it seems to me that uh, it was not a quite good decision uh, to have uh, during the war time some, uh, you know, <clears throat> some uh, experiments uh, with these private uh, gatherings, military gatherings. I think that uh, uh, <clears throat> the lessons uh, should be studied. I, we are not now in the position to examine uh, this uh, this experiment in due matter. So I cannot give you the full uh, uh, the full uh, answer to your questions dealing the lessons <clears throat> of this Wagner issue. Okay, but interesting you do say these experiments with this military group were not necessarily a good idea, but let's move on, shall we? Uh, I want to talk about Russia's international relations. I know you were a former ambassador to Saudi Arabia. Now, some Arab countries, in particular Saudi, have offered their mediation efforts in the settlement of the armed conflict between Russia and Ukraine. So how does Moscow assess these efforts? Can they succeed? Well, uh, actually, we are very much thankful for the Arab countries, for the Saudi Arabia. We are thankful, we are thankful for the uh, African countries for their attempts to mediate. But honestly, you are asking me. It's a frank talk today. We have. <laughs> I'm not quite sure that uh, our friends uh, in Arab countries and uh, in African countries they understand the uh, the the origin, the origin. Uh, of uh, and the substance of uh, this uh, dispute between Kiev authorities and uh, uh, Russian Federation. They are thinking that this is uh, 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 something ethnic uh, rivalry, etc. No, it's uh, as I told you. This is the prolongation of the Second World War. It's 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 a prolongation of the uh, war against Nazi Nazi, not against uh, national government, but Nazi government and uh, criminal uh, government. And uh, it, uh, the origin of this power uh, in uh, Nazi Germany and the Nazi uh, uh, Ukraine are just the same. So uh, we are waging the war not against Ukraine. You know, we have now uh, seven millions of Ukrainians with us in the Russian Federation. And uh, the head of our parliament, Mrs. Patvienka, she's uh, from uh, uh, from Ukraine, me from Ukraine, etc. So uh, we are considering us to be the part of the Ukraine. So we are not, uh, uh, you know, uh, struggling against Ukraine. We are struggling against certain elements that took power 
uh, in well, uh, 2014. It, it does feel that you are waging war or a special military operation against Ukraine, given the amount of bombing and destruction of their infrastructure in Ukraine. But I want to pick up on, on something you said, because Saudi Arabia did intervene to help mediate and guarantee last year's prisoner swap, as you mentioned there. How successful do you feel their role as a mediator was? Are there any new initiatives that we could expect to see in the future in a, in a similar area? Well, I think that uh, the mediation can be very helpful uh, as far as the humanitarian aspects are concerned. For instance, the exchange of the military prisoners of war and, uh, you know, some other, uh, well, uh, uh, humanitarian aspects. But the origin of the war is something which uh, our... Uh, uh, colleagues in Arab and African uh, countries uh, should understand better. It's necessary to feel the history, not just to know the history, but, but to feel the history. It's, uh, it, it's uh, only those people concerned like me and some other, they, we understand the, the, uh, the origin, the source of, the, of this uh, uh, conflict. Uh, for the uh, external people, it's rather difficult to understand uh, this uh, origin in due manner. Uh, so uh, we are very thankful for for these attempts uh, to mediate the, uh, the 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 whole story. But I think that uh, in the real terms, this mediation can be helpful only for the humanitarian uh, part of uh, this uh, dial of this uh, diversion. Okay, so we could see more potential in humanitarian areas uh, in the role of mediator. Now, Moscow has welcomed the normalization of relations between Saudi and Iran with the mediation that was conducted by China. I have to ask, though, why didn't Russia play the role of mediator here, taking into account its close ties with Riyadh and Tehran? Well, of course, we were ready also uh, to make this uh, mediation, and uh, me as uh, as uh, the specialist on Arab countries and uh, uh, Middle East countries, I a little bit disillusioned that uh, our Chinese uh, friends uh, turned to be successful. But uh, mainly, we are interesting in the result. If the result, this pro, this good result, uh, this. Uh, of this mediation, uh, the start of the, uh, you know, returning back to normal relation between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Uh, we are interested in that. Uh, if Chinese attain this uh, political diplomatic victory, okay, uh, we just congratulate them uh, for this, but also we are ready to, to, to go on uh, on the same uh, path. So, uh, we are both uh, in in one boat. Uh, we are interesting in tranquilization or in normalization of the situation in the whole region. And uh, as you know, we recently uh, again resumed our proposals for the regional security system arrangements. So what does this deal, though? What does the Chinese brokered Saudi-Iran peace deal mean for Russia specifically? Now, you say you are disillusioned that China could succeed in this area. Is it more yes, that Russia is... Hang on. The, 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 the diplomats, uh, not Russian Federation as a country. The okay. diplomats, are, okay. because we were ready also. To, okay, to but, but, but tell me, is it that China's growing role in the Middle East is threatening Russia's influence as an alternative to a non-Western diplomatic power? Well, uh, actually, uh, we are seeing uh, what is going on uh, uh, in, uh, in the Middle East uh, uh, region uh, with uh, some 
other angle. They were not uh, uh, having some disputes with uh, China or we are not uh, striving for uh, for the for the monopolic role there uh, in strife against uh, the influence of China. No. Uh, our main interest is very simple. We, we would like to have near our boundaries uh, uh, a good, uh, good uh, situation, a tranquilization. And uh, if uh, we are giving this uh, you know, serv uh, peaceful service, it's okay. If China is giving its uh, peaceful service, it's also okay. The main aim for us not to be the first in, in these uh, diplomatic activities, but to have the results. The positive results. So, uh, how we uh, understand what what uh, what uh, happened uh, the, with the mediation of China? We can relate Chinese friends, uh, Chinese diplomats, with their diplomatic uh, uh, efforts uh, and uh, success. But this success serves our interests, serves our interests, because we, uh, for many years, we were trying. Uh, to make this, uh, you know, peaceful coexistence between these major uh, countries of the Middle East, Saudi Arabia and Iran. So if it uh, turned to be the reality, okay, we just congratulate all the countries concerned. Okay, so you see it as a positive for the region. Well, let's talk about uh, Russia's diplomatic influence uh, in the Middle East, because Syria, your ally, has been recently welcomed back to the Arab League. But considering the military presence and the leverage, that you have on them, as well as the growing friendships uh, that Russia enjoys with countries like Saudi and the UAE. Do you think Moscow can pressure President Assad to behave more responsibly, be it to his own people or to stop exporting the illicit drug Captagon, for example? Oh, well, uh, actually, I know Mr. Assad personally, personally. So I believe my personal perception, but not what the newspapers and uh, some other pe other people. I believe myself. I like these people. I think that he is a very bright personality. I don't believe the majority of the stupid things that were uh, always, uh, you know, uh, telling uh, these fairy stories about him. He had some mistakes, of course. He is a normal man uh, with positive, with negative experience. But uh, we are uh, the true ally of uh, himself. I remember when uh, there was a very start of the of the whole deal in to, uh, in uh, 2011. Uh, I was uh, within the delegation that visited Mr. Assad in the beginning of the story. He said that uh, the Middle East is now under the influence of the scenarios of the United States of America. There was successful American scenario in Iraq with the killing of the people's successful. Uh, Western scenario in Libya, and he said that I would like to be the first uh, uh, Arab leader not to uh, be the victim of this American scenario. Please uh, give us assistance. And we gave him assistance in 2011, and we, uh, we for the first time, we blocked uh, the uh, resolution which was proposed in September uh, 2011. 
okay, uh, against well, Syria. You say Mr. Assad is a normal man. I'm not sure many people would agree with that description, given he has been accused of using chemical weapons against his own people, and given the fact that he again is accused of being intrinsically linked in Syria's illegal drug trade, with millions of Captagon pills being continuously exported from Syria. But, uh, but let's move on. Uh, Russia and Saudi. Now, they've been collaborating in several areas this year, particularly uh, in regards to oil production. Now, Saudi agreed to extend their voluntary OPEC plus oil production cuts from July into August. And Russia, uh, as we know, has also agreed to reduce production from next month. Do we know how much Russia is going to reduce its daily oil output by? Well, actually, first of all, I'd like to say that uh, uh, the most uh, clever uh, policy as far as the pricing uh, of the oil uh, has, uh, this is a country called Saudi Arabia. And uh, unfortunately, I, mu I must admit, for many years, uh, we uh, didn't give a clear-cut answer for the, uh, for the proposals of the Saudi Arabia uh, to make our common deal uh, on this uh, front. It was a great mistake of the Soviet Union and the Russian Federation. But now, uh, fortunately enough, uh, we have this formula APEC plus, and I, I will say again that uh, the initiative was from the Saudi Arabia and we backed them. And it was, uh, for the long period of time, a really good uh, gesture from the Russian Federation. Uh, also, we uh, value very much the initiative of the Saudi Arabia to sacrifice by their own interest and uh, uh, to have additionally uh, half a million of barrels uh, for their uh, quota. Uh, well, um, and they uh, reduced uh, the, 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 the quantity of the oil going to, for the market. We also decided to do the same under their influence, under, under their example. So. Uh, we perhaps now can, can consider ourselves to be uh, co-sponsors in this, uh, uh, you know, APEC plus uh, formula. And this is very good for the oil market. I must say to you that uh, uh, we are not egoistical, uh, Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia and Russian Federation. Uh, we are giving a good, uh, uh, you know, mark uh, and good uh, level of the uh, pricing. Okay, no, but, but do we know how much Russia is going to reduce its out uh, output by? Because Saudi's been very transparent about that so far, but we don't yet have an understanding of what Russia is prepared to reduce uh, production by. Uh, do you have any insight into that, given your uh, background in foreign policy? Well, I think that uh, it would be uh, additionally maybe half a million barrels, but... Uh, um, we uh, still think that uh, in the months to, to come, the uh, level of the pricing would be uh, on, in optimum uh, level. We are working on this to be together with the uh, OPEC plus group, especially with Saudi Arabia. Okay, so you're predicting uh, around half a million uh, barrels per day of yeah. oil to be reduced no, no more than this. from no more Russia's than this. output. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts uh, about some other comments that were made recently in an interview in June with CNBC. Saudi's energy minister, Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman, he said that OPEC plus could absolutely trust Russia. Uh, earlier this month, he also told a conference uh, that the joint cuts agreed by Russia and Saudi proved the skeptics wrong. How do you think this deal is going to help improve ties between Russia and Saudi as well as other GCC governments at a time when Western governments are losing their influence in this region? 
Well, uh, I would like to, to say that there is a big difference between the previous Soviet policy and uh, the Russian Federation policy. When I was uh, for five years the ambassador in Saudi Arabia, I never asked uh, the authorities of the Saudi Arabia uh, to make anything bad as, as far as the, uh, their uh, ties with, uh, with uh, the United States of America. Never. We were thinking about our, our own interests. We have our bilateral uh, interesting uh, things uh, to do. But uh, we are not uh, propagating anything against the third countries. We are criticizing the certain elements of the policy when we see it. But uh, we are not pushing these countries, in, uh, the Gulf countries, Saudi Arabia, uh, for anything against the interests of the third uh, countries. So uh, it's easy to be uh, in good relations with us, to be on, on uh, uh, equal footing with us, uh, to be on, on friendly footing with the Russian Federation, because we are interesting about our, our bilateral relations and we are not uh, uh, urging the, the other people uh, to be on awkward uh, relations with uh, some other countries. Uh, this is the difference uh, with the United States of America, which are pressurizing, as we know, the uh, the countries uh, to well uh, to participate in these uh, uh, sanctions against us, etc. So there are absolutely different approaches from us, from our side, and from the side of the Western countries. I think that the people uh, of the of the of the Middle East they know this difference and uh, they are more uh, friendly for us uh, for knowing of these effects. Well, Mr. Bakhnanov, thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate your insights on Frankly Speaking. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was very pleasant to have sharp questions, but uh, well, I'm ready to, and uh, it's very necessary for us uh, to give our vision. Thank you so much for this opportunity.